0: All right. Well, uh, today we finally wrap up uh, this series called You Lost Me at Leviticus. Uh, It's been quite a series. This is week 13, so 13 weeks straight. This might be the longest series I think we've ever done uh, at New Denver Church. And my hope and prayer um, during this series has really been uh, that you have um learned a lot from a book that you maybe thought was boring before, and now you're realizing it's a little more interesting than you thought. Um, maybe that you've learned a lot from a book that you thought was irrelevant, uh, but now you're realizing it's actually quite relevant to where we are today. Um, and my hope more than anything is that you've been inspired uh, to move forward with some new perspectives, uh, maybe some new practices. Um, into a new life that God has for you and has for us as a community of faith, a sacred and holy community of faith. Now, here's the deal. Uh, Leviticus actually goes out with bang um, because the last two chapters, uh, 26 and 27 of the book of Leviticus, in many ways, they wrap up and they summarize and they drive home some really important things that have been all throughout the book. Um, And like the rest of the book, they also tend to uh, push us and challenge us, particularly our modern perspective, um, in some new ways as well. Now, the last two chapters, 26 and 27, actually do this in two very different ways. And so today we're going to read chapter 26, and then in the podcast this week, we'll look at chapter 27. And let me just say, if you have not been listening to the extra podcast, we've been doing these extra podcasts every week where we're digging into some things we just didn't have time to talk about um, on Sundays. If you haven't been doing that, uh, please listen to it this week Um, because the way that chapter 26 wraps up the book and the way that chapter 27 wraps up the book are actually quite different, but they balance each other out. Uh, They go together. uh, They work in tandem. And so they're both really important. So we'll upload the podcast. Um, we had some problems with that last week. Sorry about that, but we'll, I think we've got that all figured out. We'll upload that this week, uh, maybe even earlier. Um, so definitely uh, listen to that. Now, let's jump in. Um, remember, Leviticus is a book of instructions. It's for a group of people who have been liberated from slavery in Egypt. They are in the wilderness at Mount Sinai and they're uh, awaiting God to lead them into the promised land. And so Leviticus are all the instructions for how to bring a new order into their lives and into the world as they start this new life in the new land that God is taking them to. So here's how it all wraps up. Chapter 26, verse 1 says this, do not make idols, or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So uh, Leviticus begins to wrap up by basically just repeating two of the Ten Commandments. And these things were mentioned in Exodus, they've been mentioned in Leviticus, and it's almost as if God is saying, hey, if you forget everything else I've told you, don't forget these two things. Don't make any idols and practice the Sabbath. Now for them, an idol is just anything that you worship that's other than God, right? So don't make any of these, for them it was images or stones or these carved stones, And this is a reference to the kind of idols that the Canaanite people worshipped. They would make these idols out of stone and they would uh, worship them. And so basically God is saying, hey, you're going to live among these people and within this culture that worships a whole bunch of different things than you worship, don't worship those things. And it's easy for us to read a passage like this and think, well, we don't have these kinds of idols today. We don't really have statues. I mean, Some people have little statues of Buddha and there's statues of Thomas Jefferson, right? And uh, I guess you could say some people worship those things, but, but most of us don't. But if you just step back and remember, an idol is really anything that you give significant time and attention and affection to other than God. And so for us, this would simply mean, hey, don't worship your wealth. Don't worship your career. Don't worship the approval that other people give to you. Don't worship your body. Don't worship your hobbies. Don't make idols. It's not that any of these things are bad. They're part of your life. Just don't worship them or make them more important than God. And then practice the Sabbath, right? And and we keep seeing over and over and over how important this idea of Sabbath is. And if you're like me, I think we want to keep saying, well, yeah, I mean, Sabbath is a good idea. It's an aspiration. If I can figure out how to make some Sabbath time work each week, uh, that's definitely something we should all shoot for. And it's almost like Leviticus is saying, no, 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 no. It's not just an aspiration. It's essential. It is crucial. It's foundational to everything else. In fact, it's actually connected to what you worship in your life. Which is why it's on the list of, hey, if you forget everything else, do these two things. Don't make idols and practice the Sabbath. And then verse three continues. If you follow my decrees and you're careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. So in other words, if you follow all of my instructions, everything I've told you in this whole book, if you pay attention to all my guidance, here are the blessings or the rewards that will follow. And then actually the next 11 verses give a description of all of these different kinds of blessings or rewards for following all of God's instructions. And it starts here with the natural world, right? If you do all that I say you should do, then it's going to rain, your crops are going to grow, your olive and your pomegranate trees are gonna yield a whole lot of fruit, right? And, and this is a reminder, we looked at this last week, that there's a connection between our behavior and the natural world, right? If we treat the land with care and respect, it's gonna produce fruit and it will help us to flourish as a people. Now, <clears throat> there's a whole bunch of other blessings that are described. We're not going to read them specifically, but they basically are these. If you follow my instructions, you'll always have food. You'll live in safety. He says at one point you'll have peace in the land. You're going to defeat your enemies. If you ever go into battle against your enemies, you'll have victory over your enemies. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have lots of children. Your families are going to grow. Your communities are going to flourish. Your nation is going to thrive. And at the end of this list of all these blessings, it says this, verse 11, I will put my dwelling place among you and I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. You see, if if you follow all of my instructions, I will actually live with you. I will reside with you. You will have my presence with you. And there's this picture here It goes back to the book of Genesis. Early on in the Genesis, Adam and Eve are described as living in the Garden of Eden. And it says sometimes God would just be with them and it was like he was walking with them. Just hanging out with them, having a a conversation. And that's the picture. If you follow my instructions, I will be with you and I will be your God and you will be my people. And then God says this, verse 13, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians? I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. Don't forget, I rescued you from this land where you were never meant to live and a life that you were never meant to live so that I could bring you to a new land and a new life that you were always meant to live. And God has made it clear throughout Leviticus, this isn't just for Israel. It's it's in a way to model this new life in this new land for all of humanity. And what an amazing opportunity to be given a new life, a new land, a new home, and to model a way of living with God for all of humanity. And then verse 14, But if you will not listen to me and carry out all of these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all of my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. (laughs) So here's the flip side. Because if you do everything that I tell you, Then there's going to be all sorts of blessings that follow. But if you don't follow my instructions, there's a whole bunch of consequences. And and before we read or look at those consequences, uh, this chapter at the end of the book of Leviticus, it's actually quite common in ancient literature, Whenever two parties uh, come together and they enter into an agreement with one another, in this case, it's God saying, I will be your God, and the people saying, we're going to be your people, right? The agreement would always conclude with a list of blessings and consequences. Sometimes it's called blessings and curses, or rewards and punishments. In other words, if you keep your end of the deal and I keep my end of the deal, here are all the blessings and all the rewards, rewards, all the the good things that will happen if we both keep our end of the deal. And basically that's what God has been saying. If you follow my instructions, if you do what I tell you to do, then it's gonna rain, your crops are gonna grow, you're gonna have peace and victory and battle, right? You're gonna have children, you're gonna live in harmony with the land. I will always be with you. All of these amazing things will happen. But if you don't keep your end of the deal, if you don't follow these instructions, then here are the curses or, or the punishments or the consequences that will follow. Because we actually made a covenant. And this word covenant is a really important word. We entered a covenant together on Mount Sinai, and that's described in detail in the book of Exodus. And a covenant, by the way, is, is like a treaty or it's like a business contract, but it's a little bit different because there's a a relationship between the two people that are entering into this. A a covenant is where you're actually binding yourself to another person or another group of people. And you've said, we're going to do things for one another in relationship together. And so if we do all of those things, if you do these things as my people, then here are all the amazing blessings that'll follow. But if you violate, the covenant. Do you see that language here? If you do all these things, essentially what you're doing is you're violating the covenant. You're turning your back on me. You're not living as my people. You're not following my instructions. You're not doing what you said you would do. If you violate the covenant, here are all of the consequences. Now, I'm gonna read for you and I just want you to listen to some of these verses. We won't put them on the screen. I'm just gonna read a bunch of the verses that follow and I want you to just listen. Verse 16, I will bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. So that's serious. God is going to bring terror on them. And, and God is clearly taking this personally if they don't follow his instructions. And this sounds a bit offensive at first when we hear this, right? God is going to inflict disease on his own people. And it's partly described this way because it is personal. The people aren't just ignoring some random rules or instructions. They are actually turning their backs on God, and God is saying, here's what's going to happen. Verse 17, I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Before, they would have victory. Now they're going to have defeat. Verse 18, if after all of this, you will not listen to me. I will punish you for your sins, seven times over. I will break down your stubborn pride. I will make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. And your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of your land yield their fruit. So it's like God is saying, look, if you turn your back on me, if you don't follow my instructions, I'm going to start doing things to get your attention. But if you still won't listen to me, things will keep getting worse and worse and worse. Verse 21, if you remain hostile toward me and refuse to listen to me, I will multiply your afflictions seven times over as your sins deserve. I will send wild animals against you and they will rob you of your children, destroy your cattle, and make you so few in number that your roads will be deserted. Verse 23, if in spite of these things, you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile toward me, then in my anger, I will be hostile toward you. And then there's all kinds of things that follow. Verse 30, or no, verse 27, if in spite of this, you still do not listen to me, right? If you don't accept my correction, verse 23 says, then I will continue to be hostile toward you. And then more terrible things are listed. Verse 30, I will destroy your high places. I will cut down your incense altars. High places is where they worshipped other idols. And I will, listen to this, I will pile your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols. Do you see the literary illusion here? you will become what you worship. You will become as lifeless and as dead as the stone idols that you worship. Verse 31, I will turn your cities into ruins and lay waste to your sanctuaries. Verse 33, I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities Will lie in ruins. So so the section of consequences, and I skimmed and skipped a bunch of them. The section of consequences is like three times longer than the section of blessings. And basically, the consequences are these you'll lose your health to disease, right? You're going to lose your crops to famine. You're going to lose all of your peace and your security to your enemies because they're going to defeat you. You'll lose your homes, you'll lose your safety, you'll lose your land, you'll lose your nation. You're going to lose everything in destruction and ruins if you don't follow my instructions. And all along the way, God's saying, I'm going to give you every opportunity to change your mind, to turn back to me. But if you keep turning away, if you keep worshiping idols, if you, if you keep... Uh, ignoring the Sabbath, if you keep defiling yourselves and all the ways I've told you not to or defiling your families or defiling your community or defiling the land, if you keep doing these things, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse until eventually you'll lose everything. And as we mentioned last week, this is exactly what happened. In 586 BC, hundreds of years later, The Babylonian armies swept into Israel and they destroyed everything. The cities lay in ruins and rubble. The fields lay fallow. Many of the people died. The people who were left were scattered among their enemies, taken into exile back to Babylon. And Here's the story that's beneath the story in the book of Leviticus. There's actually two stories going on in this book. The first story is the Exodus story. The Exodus story is basically the people are in a physical wilderness, and they've left slavery in Egypt Right? So they're living in this physical wilderness. God has delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And there's this sense of gratitude in the Exodus story. Right? Gratitude for everything God has done to save them. And and excitement and anticipation as well for making it to the promised land. And this is the original setting of the book. This is what we've been looking at through most of the book. Right? There's this sense of gratitude and hopeful expectation of new life in a new land. We are God's new and redeemed people and were moving towards this new life. But here's the deal. We also know that the book of Leviticus was put in its final form during the time of exile in Babylon. All the initial instructions came from that wilderness period so many years earlier, but the book that we actually have today, it was all edited and put together in the form that we have it today during the exile And so there's also an exile story. And this is the story beneath the story. The people are coming back to these instructions during a time of spiritual wilderness. They don't live in the land anymore. They've lost the land. They've lost their homes. Many of them lost their lives, lost lives their families. They're living in exile, in grief, in mourning, in loss, and that raises all sorts of questions and doubts. I mean, in exile, the people are asking, what happened? What went wrong? Why did God abandon us? Why was our nation destroyed? Why didn't he protect us from the Babylonians? What happened? What happened? That's the question they're asking over and over and over. And now you can see Leviticus is answering that question. Oh, that's what happened. That's where we went wrong. We didn't follow God's instructions. We worshiped other gods and idols. We lost our way. We lost our identity. We abused the land. We took advantage of the poor. We essentially created another Egypt. God didn't abandon us. We abandoned God. And so it's an exile that the people are living with this deep sense of both grief and regret. Now... let me address one issue that I think we all have when we read uh, Leviticus 26, and then we'll kind of wrap things up by talking about how all of this applies to our lives specifically. But here's the issue. When you first read this, and maybe when you heard me reading some of those verses, um, God sounds extremely violent and vengeful, right? Right? I mean, the language is so personal and so specific. If you abandon me, here's what I will do personally to you. And I think you can actually read this in two ways. You can read this as God is a punisher or God as a protector. Now, if you come to the Bible with the perspective that God is kind of like a judge, then, uh, Then you get to the book of Leviticus, right? And uh, we started reading it and it's a whole bunch of rules and they get boring and tedious at first. uh, Maybe not at first, maybe the whole time. And some of them seem random and arbitrary, right? And then you get to this chapter that basically says, if you don't follow all of these rules, God will punish you with a vengeance. And so this chapter easily can reinforce the idea that God is just like a judge waiting to punish people. But what if this is so much more about God being a protector? I mean, for starters, he's protecting his name and his reputation. Because basically, remember, they've entered into a covenant together. So the nation has bound itself to God. They speak for God. These are Yahweh's people. They represent who God is to the rest of the world. And if they're not going to do any of the things that they said they would, if they're not going to follow any of his instructions, if they're just going to live in the same old ways and worship the other gods and the other idols and continue to mistreat people, God doesn't want to be any part of that. He needs to protect his name and his reputation. Do you know what he's also doing? Is He's protecting the vulnerable I mean, so many of the instructions we read are about God saying, whatever you do, don't take advantage of one another. Create a new kind of society where people don't take advantage of each other, where people take care of the widows, where people take care of the orphans, where people take care of the poor, and treat the immigrants differently. And the prophets during Israel's history will begin to rail on Israel because they see none of this is happening, right? And they start to see Israel has just created another Egypt again. Israel is just oppressing people again. And God sees this and he's not gonna stand by and watch this happen. And so of course it makes him mad. Of course it makes him angry. He has this deep sense of righteous anger against injustice. And so he's not going to let his people create a system that he has to rescue people from again. So he's protecting the vulnerable. He's also protecting the land because they're abusing the very land that God gave them. And over the years, it's like God keeps telling him, you have to change your ways. And you can see this, this, this care that God has for his creation it's almost like he's counting all the years that the land is not getting any rest. The land is not getting any kind of sabbatical. And the more they abuse the land, the more it breaks God's heart. And so part of the reason that they're sent into exile is because God's heart is broken over the land that never gets any rest while they are abusive in it and towards it. You see, God is so much more a protector than he is. Punisher. He's like a father who loves and cares for his creation, his people, the most vulnerable among his people. And he knows, just like any good parent knows, any good father or any good mother knows, if if they keep ignoring him, eventually they're going to have to experience the consequences of their decisions. And so God keeps warning them over and over and over. That's what all these warnings are about. If you don't listen to me, if you don't turn, if you don't change your ways, if you don't accept my correction, over and over, remember what I taught you. Remember the goal. Remember the mission. Remember the better life that I have for you. Remember of what it was like in Egypt when you were oppressed and what I rescued you from. But if they're not gonna listen, if they're going to keep turning their backs on him, then eventually God will let everything happen that he said would happen. And you can almost feel the people in exile hundreds of years later embracing Leviticus 26 as their story. This is what happened. This is why we're so far from home. This is why everything happened to us. Because ultimately, we were the ones that abandoned God. Have you ever felt that in your life? Have you ever hit rock bottom? Or maybe found yourself in one of those uh, spiritual wildernesses? And realized, the reason I'm here here? It's not because God abandoned me. It's because I abandoned him. It's because I didn't really follow his instructions. I didn't really trust in him. Now, Now let me be clear. Not all suffering is that way. Not all wilderness experiences are that way. But if we're honest, sometimes they are. Sometimes we wake up to the realization that things are not the way they're supposed to be in my life. And I don't even know how I got to this point. I don't know how it all happened. I just know it feels like I'm really far away from home. I'm really far away from God. I'm really far away from the kind of life that he has for me. Have you ever felt that? Well, here's the good news this morning, the good news of Leviticus, the good news... Of Leviticus 26, a chapter full of vengeance and punishment. After all of the consequences, after the description of exile, after the description of being so far away from God, here's what God says, verse 40. But if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors... I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. It goes on to say this, they will pay for their sins because they rejected my laws and abhorred my decrees. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them or abhor them. I am the Lord, their God. You might reject me, but I'll never reject you. You you might abandon me, but I'll never ultimately abandon you. You didn't keep your part of the covenant, but you need to know, I will always keep my part of the covenant. Now, God's pretty clear here, right? Right? there will be some consequences to pay for, for selfish or, or unwise or terrible decisions. When we abandon God, when we, when we don't follow his instructions, he will protect his name and his reputation. He will protect the vulnerable. He will protect the land. But he's basically saying, I'll never give up on you. You can always come home to me. No matter what you've done, all you have to do is confess. Confess. Right? There's no elaborate rituals at this point that you have to do. There's no sacrifices you have to It's simple as that. All you have to do is confess your sins and come back to me. And I'll forgive you. And we'll start over again. So here's the simple message for all of us today. Uh, where do you feel far away from God? How is it that you feel? What area of your life? And and maybe you've been a Christian or a follower of Jesus for, for decades, right? But maybe there's a part of your life where you just feel really far away from home. Spiritually speaking, right? Physically, we're all cooped up at home right now. But spiritually speaking, where do you feel like you've gotten off track? Where you've maybe abandoned God? Where you've just slowly drifted away from him and you don't even know how it happened or or what it happened and, and yet you just realize you're really far away. And God says today, well, you can just come home. I haven't abandoned you. I'm still here. You're the one that drifted away and you don't even know how it happened and we'll have to work through all of that. But I want to give you a fresh start. Let's wipe the slate clean. You can come home to me. Let me pray for us today. Um, God, I pray for uh, everyone who's watching or listening right now. <clears throat> and I pray that you would help us to all um, just have a moment of introspection and reflection. Maybe it's in the area of some relationships. Maybe it's a pattern of behavior. Maybe it's just a general attitude. Um, maybe it's just something deep in our hearts that nobody else knows about. But um, I pray that you would help us to figure out where it is or why it is that we feel so far away from you in some parts of our lives. And whatever um, that is, God, help us today. Uh, to come back to you and to trust that you haven't abandoned us. We want to worship you. We want to love you. We want to be your people. Thank you for giving us your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. We pray this in your name.